Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Have you ever wondered how some of your colleagues or competitors have built such an amazing social media platform? Well, I'm excited that we're going to be diving into a step-by-step strategy at how to create the following more rapidly today. And our guest expert is the author of One Million Followers, Brendan Kane. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you're coming to us from LA and you've come out of kind of like the film and the music world. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to write this amazing book, One Million Followers? Yeah, for sure. So my journey is a, a little bit different. So I went... I initially went to film school to learn the business side of film because I wanted to produce movies. And as soon as I got into film school, I quickly realized they don't teach you much about business there. So I figured the best way to learn about business is to start your own. And at the time, and it still holds true today, the most cost-efficient way to build a business is to start online companies. So I started a few online businesses while I was going to film school. And then when I moved out to Los Angeles to pursue a career in film, that's when the entertainment industry started to reawaken to digital after the dot-com bust. Mm. And I'm always coming from the standpoint of how can I provide value and, and be unique and different than everybody else. And I just saw a lot of high profile people, whether that was producers, directors, or actors asking a lot of questions about how social and digital platforms could be leveraged to promote their movies. So I basically leveraged that knowledge to forge connections and get projects and I spent uh, about three or four years in the, in the film industry building out digital divisions for two movie studios and Very overseeing nice. the marketing campaign for films ranging from 15 to $100 million budgets. Oh, and then okay. there, I knew I wanted to explore the world of being an entrepreneur. So I left and started building tech platforms for major media companies. So I built platforms for and with MTV, Viacom, Yahoo, Vice, and those partnerships, specifically the one that, ones that I did with MTV and Viacom, opened up the doors to work with some of the largest musicians on the planet. So that's where I got introduced to Taylor Swift and her team and built tech platforms for her. And uh, so I did that for a few years and then quickly got into the paid optimization space, social paid optimization, which means that we were helping Fortune 500 companies and brands with their social advertising campaigns. So Facebook's advertising platform, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. And that was really an eye-opening experience for me because we would have the biggest brands in the world coming to us and saying, here's a piece of creative that we just spent a ton of money on, and in some cases over a million dollars on. And now they wanted to spend another million dollars targeting a specific audience or demographic. And when you ask them, well, how do you know that this piece of creative is going to resonate with this audience, the tune of risking all this money, nine times out of 10, they didn't have the analytics or data to support that decision. So that was a reoccurring theme that I saw over and over again in in helping build that company. And I felt like there's got to be a better way of going about this because sure, a huge corporation or huge brand can take a few risks and and lose out and still survive, but it's not a long-term strategy. And then also what about the rest of us, the people that don't have those huge budgets? Right. So I left working on that company and started building a set of testing methodologies and and processes on top of Facebook and Instagram to be able to test content at scale and understand 
what content formats, themes, and stories work for the specific audience that you're trying to engage with Mm -hmm. so that you can really learn without spending a tremendous amount of money of what works and what doesn't work. And then when you find out what does work, then you can feel more budget into it and scale it. And was having a lot of success going back and working with big brands and corporations and then started doing some more work with celebrities and journalists again. Mm -hmm. And then it seeded this idea in my head as like, okay, this is great that I've done all these projects for the biggest companies and individuals in the, in the world. But what about the rest of us? What about people that are starting from scratch or just people that are struggling to reach that next level? And it, it's really seeded an idea in my head. And I'm the type of person that constantly likes to test and run experiments. And I thought the only way to really know what was possible is to, to see and to go run a test and see what happens. Uh, so when thinking about who would be the perfect person to run this experiment on, I thought, why not myself? Uh, because I'm not a professional athlete or celebrity, never been on television or, or film, and definitely not a rock star because I can't carry a tuna to save my life. <laughs> uh, so I decided I'm just going to run it on myself. So over the course of 30 days, I had used this system that I had developed for big brands and celebrities on myself. And over the course of 30 days, I was able to amass a million followers in 100 countries in 30 days on Facebook and have since then started to apply some of these principles to Instagram as well. So that's where really the idea for the book came from and and where I got started with all that. Well, congratulations, because putting the name of a book, One Million Followers, is pretty ballsy, really. I mean, you had to, you had to really do it. And I think that that's uh, quite amazing. There are so many questions that came up from what you just said, Brendan. You know, I really am curious about uh, lots of different industries. So I would love to go deep on, you know, the Taylor Swifts and Rihanna's that you worked with. But I have to um, subdue my own interest in that area because really who we're talking to today is people who speak professionally, people who get paid to speak and are on their way up to getting paid more to speak. So with, you know, what I'm wondering about is with all of this celebrity social media everywhere, um, is there hope for the small potatoes that we are in our speaking industry? A hundred percent. It's, it's, that's the reason that I ran this experiment on, on myself. The reason I wrote the book is, is because with the right strategy, you can achieve remarkable results and, and have that level of growth. Now, are you going to get the level of growth of like a Taylor Swift? Maybe not, probably <laughs> not, but you don't need that level. Like you don't need a hundred million followers to really right. stand out. And I know this because I've been really focusing on my speaking career as well and being able to leverage the social numbers that I've been able to generate in getting more speaking gigs and, and, and mm-hmm. bolstering my reputation in that, in that field. But so the, the, the short answer to your question is yes. I mean, again, I, I've done it four or five times with people starting from scratch, the same, the same level of the same level of um, engagement and growth. So it's definitely possible. Okay. So if we were to break it down and think about what's one thing that someone could go out to do tomorrow. I'm sure you'll give us more than one thing, but what's something that somebody could just take action on right away? Yeah. So I want to just take a step back in terms of that one thing, because one of the areas that I focus all of my clients on that it seems like common sense, but it, it really is a critical, important step in this process. Mm-hmm. 
is to first define why you're doing it. What right. is your goals? What are your objectives? What does your return on investment look like? Right. And the reason that's so important is people don't really recognize the amount of time and effort and resources it takes to be successful at social and digital. And really understanding why you're doing it and where that return on investment is coming from. And when I say return on investment, it doesn't necessarily have to be financial. So in my case, I got a literary agent, I got a publishing deal, published a book, and now I've been leveraging it to get more speaking gigs. So yes, there's a, a tangible return on investment in all of those different areas, but it's, it's not a direct attribution to specific uh, revenue, but I have gotten a, a significant return on investment for those efforts. Okay. So really first starting there and defining why am I doing this? Where is this return on investment going to come from? What is the ultimate success of generating 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 followers, whatever that number is and, right. and what that looks like. Uh, and using that as your guidepost that when things get tough or when you look at the amount of money or time that you're, you're investing into this, you know why you're doing it. Right. I so think I that makes say- good sense to start with the why and the ROI and really to understand uh, what is the purpose? And so can we just also do, since you brought about that idea of focus, could we also talk about, are we going to splash it out there on seven different platforms? Or what do you think about focusing on a certain number and being really good at those? Yeah. So there's obviously different schools of thought. My personal belief and opinion is, is to focus on the platforms that you're really excited about and that you feel like you can get good at because just stretching yourself across too many platforms uh, may dilute your ability to be successful. And I, from my perspective, I wouldn't be on a platform just to be on a platform Mm -hmm. because like, for example, if you jump on YouTube and you're getting like a hundred views of video, it's like, what is that really doing for your overall business? Or also from a speaking perspective, what is that doing from a brand perception. And I think that there's a lot to be said with social media and brand perception. So to me, it's like focus on what you're, what you're passionate about, what platforms you really love to use yourself, where you think you can be successful. And then once you're successful at those platforms, by all means, diversify out. It seems to make a lot of sense for speakers who want to be seen speaking uh, to look at YouTube as a primary. We have um, a friend of mine and, and one of my uh, storytelling coaches that is my one of my go-to people, Kelly Swanson, just uh, over the course of the last couple of days, I've watched her video growing and growing and growing in terms of number of views. And I think it'll continue to go, grow. Well, there she is demonstrating the brilliance of her speaking. I mean, she's doing a live, it's a clip of a live presentation. Don't you think that that can help speakers? When something something goes viral like that. Now, let me ask you a question on Kelly's behalf. She may be listening into this later on. So let's say she's hit 10K in 24 hours. Okay, that's good. What would be something that she could do to then leverage that? Well, I think there's a a few different ways that you can leverage that. First, First and foremost, obviously, in any of the media kits that you're putting together, uh, you know, listing out the statistics of views and engagement around the content that you're producing. And then also 
like for, for my, for myself, for example, I spoke at a tech conference called web summit and they're like the largest tech and digital conference in the world. They have over 70,000 people there. And what I did is I went to the event organizers and I'm like, listen, what is the, the most viewed video that you've ever had? And they, they didn't know. So I did the data, data myself, the data mm-hmm. analysis myself, and then sent it to them and said, this is the most viewed video you have. And I said, I'm going to co- come back and I'm going to beat that. Mm. And I did beat it and I went back to them. And, and obviously that allowed me to get invites to their other conferences. But then I used that data when I'm trying to get other speaking gigs so just to show that, hey, listen, not only am I somebody that's going to deliver on stage, but I know how to maximize the potential of the content on stage to promote your event and provide more value back to you. Yeah, uh, so that's that- really good. Like showing people how it's going to help them in their event is a great way to really take the focus off of you and onto them. Great, great, great idea. Also, talk a little bit about media um, because you talked about your press kit or something like that. Could Kelly then say, hey, this has become a thing and pitch that out to the media? Why is this going viral? That type of thing? A hundred percent. I mean, you can leverage it so many different ways uh, once you have that feedback and data from the audience. And then I would also say that if you have a piece of content that's going viral or that's performing really well, mm-hmm. think about the opportunity of leveraging social advertising to push those numbers up even further to generate further exposure around that piece of content. Okay, nice, nice. So you're talking about pay to play. So, okay, let's go back to your 1 million followers. You said it's going to be on Facebook and you focused on just that medium. And I think, um, for many of us, we're kind of looking across all the platforms and trying to decide where do we focus our time and energy. What it, can you just give us a comment on where do you think the hottest kind of new trends are right now? I think Instagram, but you tell me what you think is the place that you might want to be spending, you know, putting one of your three, if you're going to do three different buckets, that might be one of the three. What, what do you think are the hottest things right now? Maybe for yeah, absolutely. And, perspective. Absolutely. And just to chime in on that. So I spent three and a half years on Facebook and has spent probably the last seven months on Instagram. So I've been focusing very heavily on Instagram and now getting into YouTube. And okay. so the first place to really start again, when we think about return on investment or the business applications of it is what is the platform that has the most perceived value in your industry And the best way to go about that is just to ask the the types of people you're trying to close business with. So from a speaking perspective is like, who are are the people that that they're booking speakers? What platforms do they value the most? And listen, you may get, you may get an ambiguous response for them or, or a response like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's always good to start there just to understand where your industry values the certain networks And then what I look at from there is the consumption behaviors between each one, because each one has a different type of consumption behavior and different pros and cons. So you first start off by Instagram. Instagram, I would say from a brand perspective, uh, has the most inherent value. That's where a lot of brand dollars are going right now. It used to be YouTube, Uh but YouTube ran into a lot of issues with brand safety uh, that a lot of big advertisers were pulling their budgets because of that. Right. So Instagram does have this hot factor to it that people are really enamored with. 
And also the engagement level typically is the highest between the three primary networks uh, because of the, the percentage of your followers that, that get served your content. I will say that is starting to decline as more people jump on the platform and as more content is produced for the platform. Mm-hmm. But also understanding that Instagram is really a short form consumption platform. So you're, you're lucky if you're getting somebody to watch 30 to 60 seconds of a clip. Now they are trying to change that with IGTV, but yeah. that's very early on. And I, in my opinion, I think that they're going to have a difficult road in terms of changing that consumption behavior to long form. So then when we right. look at- and, and they say it, it hasn't felt to me like IGTV was going to be like, Ba-dam. Like it really felt back when they first started talking about it, like it was going to be the thing that was going to take over YouTube, but it hasn't really started to surface yet. Have it, has it? Listen, I think that it's have, I think it's having some success, but not as not overtaking YouTube. But at that same time, I would never underestimate Facebook or Instagram, right? Because they will just keep going at it and testing things and trying things until they figure it out. Because right. you saw that with when they were trying to compete against Snapchat, they tried several different things until they came across stories. And then with stories, I mean, stories have single-handedly decreased the, the user base and, and the usage of Snapchat because they took out one of those core features. So I would never put it past Facebook or Instagram sure. to compete against YouTube. I think it's a tough road, but they have some really smart people working over there. So it's definitely possible. Sure. Um, just for a second, Brendan, um, talk about what you think the biggest mistakes people make with stories is, um, and, and because many of our followers are probably doing stories and they may not be doing them as well as they could be. So what would be one, just one kind of bottom line tip you might say on stories? Well, I think the bottom line tip for any type of content on social platforms is, are you providing value? Like, why are you creating this story, right? Why are you creating this video? Why are you creating this video? Is it providing value to your audience or are you just trying to sell them on something or get them to do something? I I think that that's really the first question to to start out and asking yourself that will increase the overall quality of any type of content you produce for social platforms. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So, uh, um, Let's talk about LinkedIn a little bit because I think that there's a lot of um, corporate, we, in our world, and I'm sure you've started to make a lot of inroads into corporate uh, conferences. That's where we probably are um, doing more and more business on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has really had a major surge lately, but perhaps in entertainment and film, not as much, right? That is that something that you have started to study? Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of success with LinkedIn. I mean, that paid media optimization firm I was telling you about that we built. I mean, a majority of that revenue came from LinkedIn, and okay. So we've been leveraging LinkedIn in different ways for for the past five or six years. And yes, you're you're 100 correct that there's been a resurgence of the platform from more of a, a social aspect in terms of social content and and distributing content to build your brand on the platform. And I'm very bullish on the platform and its applications for that. Fair enough. So, okay. So let's say we've gotten focused and we know what our ROI goals are. And we really know that the value of the value that we want to provide to people, 
then what's our next step? We've decided which platforms we're going to focus in on. What do you think the maximum number that a speaker might want to choose should be? It really depends on the resources that you have. If you have limited resources and it feels like a daunting task for you and you're just getting started, then just start with one. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want people to get overwhelmed out the gate and I don't want people to feel like, oh, I have to be on two or three platforms from the start in order to be successful. So be honest with yourself in terms of what you can achieve uh, to make sure that you don't get overwhelmed and want to quit when you get, when you get into the thick of it. Okay. So you choose your platforms. Most people, let's say our, our listeners, they've probably got four or five on the go already. And they've been doing maybe a good job on a couple of them and maybe not as good on the rest of them. What would you say um, would be the next step for them? Would they start to go deeper into some and really uh, uh, talk about pay to play? How important is it that they have a budget? Well, you have to have a budget period. Like, does it have to be for advertising? No, it doesn't necessarily have to be for advertising. I mean, there's kind of a trade-off. It's, it's either you're going to create really compelling content that's of the highest quality that people are going to want to share and people want to engage with and you can fuel that organic growth or there's a paid element to it where you fuel paid behind your content to, to amplify that growth. Uh, So it's really getting a sense of where your content stands today, the quality of that content and how it's currently performing for you. And then you can make that determination whether you need to supplement that with paid in order to generate that growth. But again, that's where the ROI becomes super critically important is to understand why you're investing. Because like the companies that I work with, I like to be of the mindset of not how much are we spending, but how much can we spend? Like if you're getting a profitable ROI out of the advertising dollars that you're putting in, then Mm -hmm. essentially you want to just keep fueling it until that growth stops. So for example, if I told you for every dollar that you give me, I'll give you a dollar 50 in return, you're going to say, well, how many dollars can I give you? And that's where real social growth and rapid growth in business happens uh, when we talk about digital and technology. So I'm trying to think about how you might test something to see what's going to be sticky. And would you say that your testing is just always looking back at analytics? Um, it, it sounds like you are brilliant at like this is your strong suit is just really going and analyzing and understanding it all. Whereas people like me, I just bury my head in the sand and I don't want to look. Yeah. So there's a few different ways that you can go about it. I mean, and first off, understand that for, for an individual such as yourself. So there's a few different ways that you can go about looking at analytics and data from a very high level, simplistic level. You can just measure the response of likes, comments, and shares of one piece of content versus another piece of content. And an easy way that people typically do is they create an Excel spreadsheet and they put the different pieces of content that were posted within within any given month or quarter. And then they look at the engagement ratios against each other and, and really determine what's working and what's not working. Right. So that's just a very simplistic level. Uh, from the system that I devised that I break down in the book is we leverage the Facebook and, and Instagram advertising platform as a market research tool. Okay. 
to really be able to test content because the power of the platform is you can segment out all these different elements and understand how your content performs under certain scenarios. So what that looks like is, for example, you can create a piece of content and test it 20 different ways. So you can test how it performs against males versus females, uh, people that live in the United States versus the UK, people that are interested in TED Talks versus inspirational quotes. All these different uh, elements are at your fingertips and you can essentially run what's called A-B tests on that platform, controlling all of these elements. And for me, for example, when I generated a million followers in 30 days, I tested 5,000 variations of content. And that sounds like a super daunting task. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> but, it's, but with the system that we devised, it's not. Because again, you can take one piece of content and literally turn it into like 300 variations in less than 20 minutes. And the way that looks like is a variation I define as five key elements. So you have the first is the creative itself, whether that's a video or, or an image. Um, the second is the headline is how are you describing the piece of content on Facebook? It's above the piece of content on Instagram. It's below in the caption. Then the third is, is the demographics. Are they males? Are they females? What specific age group are they? Uh, the fourth is the interest level. What are they interested in? So for example, I was saying, are they interested in TED Talks versus inspirational quotes versus uh, what products and services do they buy? All of those you can control. And then the fifth is the geolocation, which you can control all the way down to the specific zip code. So with those five elements of a variation, you can interchange one of them and it creates a new variation. So we could say, for example, uh, for, for one test, we want to target males versus females. Another test, we want to target 18 to 35-year-old males versus uh, 35 to 55-year-old females. Uh, so each one becomes interchangeable, and that's where you can take one piece of content and turn it into hundreds of variations and really get good at learning uh, how your content responds under certain scenarios to get people to perform an intended action. How close can we get to the exact job title that we're looking for? Like if we wanted to only find people who worked as uh, some version of a meeting planner, is that something that is possible? It is definitely possible depending on the platform that you're leveraging. So for Facebook and Instagram, I believe you can do it if somebody has listed that in their about section or their bio section. Like anything that people have put into the system, you can target them right. based on. LinkedIn, it's definitely possible to be yeah. able to do that. Uh, so that seems really, more viable in LinkedIn for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, from a targeting perspective, like you could just, and I'm sure people do this, you can focus on connecting with those people on the platform and then making sure that you're seeding the platform with quality content. Right, right. And so for me, whose target is speakers, that's a lot easier because speaker is right there in your title or some version of your social media uh, title will have that word in it. And that's going to be a lot easier for me to really identify, isn't it? Absolutely. It's definitely in there. And then I, I would say that like the third approach that you can take to analytics and data that I work extensively with people on is, is looking at the competitive landscape is who are the people that are currently reaching your audience that are, mm -hmm. that are successful with it. 
right. and then looking at their content and reverse engineering what content they are successful with versus what content they are not. And we literally do that every week with our team. I, I was literally on a call before this interview where we each week we have a competitive analysis meeting with our creatives on our team to go through different uh, people that we're tracking and, and seeing where they're having success or lack thereof and reverse engineering that on how we can apply that to ourselves. Wonderful. Tell me when you did your 30-day experiment uh, to see if you could get to a million on Facebook, what was the thing that you tested, tested again, tested, and then finally got the ding, ding, ding moment? Like, okay, this is it. Was it, like, give me a specific, was it an article that you had written? Was it a post that you had done, a meme or something like that? Like, what was the thing that really helped you gain more traction more quickly? Yeah, so I tested a bunch of different types of content because I really wanted to leverage this as an experiment to see what worked. What, what types of content did you test? That's what I'm curious about. So we tested everything from podcast interviews I did to unique travel photos of different places I've been in the world to inspirational okay. content from videos to images to photo quotes uh, to political-based content. Uh, but that was just really in the beginning stages because I really wanted to have that flexibility and freedom that I typically don't get in working with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to use that on myself. But really what I narrowed in on is what we've seen work really well is image-based content and specifically photo-based content with quotes, uh, okay. inspirational quotes embedded in it work really well. Okay. Uh, it attracts people's attention and gets the opt-in rate and share rate up very high. Okay, uh, do you quote yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, initially we started leveraging other people's quotes and then quickly diversify to my own quotes. <laughs> so Scott Stratton, listen to that one, mister. <laughs> he says that kittens die when you quote yourself. <laughs> I just thought that uh, probably it works. And so I know he may not like it, but if it's something that works, you can't argue with that. I mean, listen, you can use other people's quotes, but to me, it's like, if you really want to build a strong brand, like you should be engaging people around your own content. Exactly. Exactly. I think that makes really good sense. Okay. So, um, so, so you st rec recognize that uh, photo quotes, that type of thing, were the things that gained you the most traction. What else? Um, when you share podcasts, have you had any particular podcasts or titles or anything like that that's really been successful for you? So I look at podcasts, well, first off, there's a huge opportunity in leveraging podcast content on social platforms that few people recognize. And I saw this in, in working with Katie Couric and, and helping in launching her podcast. But I look at cutting out anywhere between 30 to 90 second clips of the audio of a podcast and actually turning it into video. Ooh, see, so that, I like that. Yeah, so that could mean cutting it to stock video or potentially some people actually video record their podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. And I've just seen that ability of extracting as many valuable clips out of an interview and then testing them against each other to see which ones are really resonating. And then from there, you can drive that traffic to listen to the full podcast interview. 
I like that a lot. I think that's the gold um, right there for us is to really start taking things like interviews and, and like looking at a different medium of sharing it. So podcasts normally record audio only, but I love the idea of sharing a video clip of the podcast because we often do uh, video uh, versions of the podcast as well. That's a really good one. All right. What else? In terms of podcasts? Well, um, let's talk about just something that you have seen working for you personally that has landed you a speaking engagement or a conversation with the decision maker about a speaking engagement. Yeah, so it goes back to what I was saying earlier that my the way that I approach any situation, whether that is speaking or any business meeting is how can I provide the most value to the other person? How can I solve a specific pain point? Mm-hmm. And I've just noticed that when you come to the table with a specific strategic plan of how you can maximize the potential of the content that's being captured at the event and providing more value to them from a promotional aspect, uh, it, it definitely changes the dynamics of the conversation. Now, obviously you need to be a good speaker. It's not the only reason that they're going to book you, but I think it shows you in a different light than most speaker, most speakers, because again, you're providing a unique value. You have a large social audience, you know how to maximize the potential of that content. So that's kind of where I see the, the big opportunity. Okay. I like that. So really coming at it from a different standpoint, talking about leveraging your uh, social following. So I don't know if we've given enough like tangible, go do this tomorrow type things. What's a couple more things that we might be able to share with people before we sign off here? Yeah. So just to reiterate the, the things that we ca- covered, then I can dive into some more is okay. first and foremost, defining your return on investment and and why you're doing this. And secondarily, uh, the competitive analysis mm-hmm. of who's reaching your audience and doing it well and reverse engineering the formats and themes and structure of their content. Good. The third is having a testing mindset of constantly uh, looking and understanding why your content's working or not working and fueling that for future decisions going forward. And then I think another element that we haven't really spoken a lot about, but is really critically important to success on social digital platforms is a distribution of content is when you're starting out or if you're struggling to reset next level, I always say that uh, don't try and create traffic from scratch, go where the traffic is. And what that looks like is make a list of every distribution outlet that currently reaches the audience that you're trying to acquire for yourself and then figure out how you can provide content to those distribution outlets and provide value to them so that they post it to drive traffic back to you. So that's another element that I think people overlook that's critically important in terms of growth, especially when you're talking about Instagram or YouTube growth mm-hmm. is giving, distributing your content on other channels to drive people back to follow your channel is one of the, the, the quickest way to grow. Okay. I like that. Good one. All right. Do we have one more? trying to think if there's another one. Well, you know what I really want to ask you too is, you know, talk about something that you've tried and has failed miserably. I think we can all really learn from failure. What's one project you wish you could go back and do better? 
when it comes to social or mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so for social, I mean, I think that one of the areas that we've struggled with in the past and it's just taken a lot of hard work and time is is really mastering the art of video. Okay. Uh, especially when it comes to Facebook and Instagram, what few people realize is you have less than three seconds to capture somebody's attention on that platform. Okay. And that's why the, the advertising platform actually charges you on a three-second view instead of a one-second view. Mm. Uh, it used to be different, and then the advertisers were up in arms about it, and uh, Facebook quickly shifted that. But what few, few people realize is that because of, and it's not just social media, but just technology in general, it's shifted our culture into a three-second culture. No matter what, is like even in even an offline experience, I've seen the dynamic shift is we literally have less than three seconds to capture somebody's attention, which makes it very difficult to be successful with video because people are typically very long-winded in their video and don't understand the importance of capturing that attention in the first three seconds. And then from there, understanding that, okay, if you have captured their attention in the first three seconds, how do you create a compelling story to keep their attention? Because obviously everybody's heard the term clickbait and clickbait was really good and still is good today at at some level of capturing that first three seconds. But if there's not substance behind it, then there's really no value there. So I think that one of the areas that it took us years to master was understanding that and just failing over and over and over again to, to really crack the code on how to create successful social video. And it's something today that we, we are still working on every day to get better and better at. So it makes me want to go back and really look at that Kelly Swanson clip and see, well, why did that, why did that capture attention? It was a very short and sweet clip. Um, would you say that almost everything needs to have captions or subtitles with it now because people are so often listening with the sound off? It depends on the platform. So okay. Facebook and Instagram, definitely. YouTube, not as much. Okay. Uh, again, like YouTube. You go to YouTube to actually do the whole experience. Not exactly. Just, uh, YouTube okay. is a search-based platform. It's a long-form consumption platform. People go in mm. with the intent of consuming video with the audio on mm. versus Instagram and Facebook. It's a push model. You're pushing content into the feed. You're competing against articles, images, and typically that sound is off when you're scrolling through the feed. Even even just like thinking about those terms, long form consumption, you, you know, this is a world that you live in. And I don't know that everybody in my world thinks about things on those levels. So if, if people have taken anything out of this um, podcast today, I think it is to really start doing your research and homework and understand analytics better, understand who your consumers are, and really maybe even drilling down to a very specific. We talk in my business about picking a lane, but I think even when it comes to, let's say, Facebook advertising, let's pick a lane. Let's decide exactly who we want to be the person that we're paying to play with. Don't you think that that's going to be more helpful than just doing a spray and pray method? hundred percent. It's always more helpful. And that's where really defining what your goals and objectives are, who is the audience that you want to reach and, and what the ultimate outcome looks like is, is so important mm. uh, because having those answers to that question then, or questions makes it a lot easier that when you start creating those campaigns or you're even designing your content, uh, you have 
a clear strategy on how to do so. Right, right. And understanding what those particular, um, let's say, decision makers or meeting planners, what, what platform are they looking at uh, on a day-to-day basis? What are they consuming the most of? Very interesting. Well, Brendan Kane, this has been really a fascinating podcast, very eye-opening for me as well. Thank you so much. If people would like to get in touch with you, let's say they would like to uh, purchase the book, where should they go? So the book is on Amazon. It's on all major retail stores as well, like Barnes and Noble. And uh, they can go to the website for the book, which is 1millionfollowers.com and one is spelled out. Or they can direct message me on Instagram at Brendan Kane or email me directly at B as in boy at seekers, S-E-A-K-E-R-S.com. I love it. Well, um, wealthy speakers, thank you so much for listening in today. If you've enjoyed our show, please make sure that you give us a like or share it with your friends so that we can continue to do this good work. And with that, we will say, see you soon, wealthy speakers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speakers Show. Please visit speakerlauncher.com for your free Wealthy Speaker audit and visit speakerlauncher.com forward slash podcast for show notes and many more resources to help you catapult your speaking business. See you soon, wealthy speakers.